hello and welcome to another episode of the Novum Insightful. I'm here with Dr. Jane Thomason, who is a blockchain thought leader and doer extraordinaire, as well as an advisor to Novum. So, so Jane has, has been on the Novum Insights ride for um, um, several years and is, is, is one of the um, my most trusted advisors and, and someone with fantastic views on, on the whole blockchain space. Hi, Toby. Really fun to join you at the other end of the interview. Yeah, I know you're you're always always a great moderator on on many of these things, and and uh, um, we've we've had a lot of lot of good talks over the years. Um, and I guess Jane, obviously, you are you're doing a tremendous amount, really, um, and the sort of like we discuss topics and they vary from the the uh, your passionate amount they vary from sort of play to earn gaming to sort of sdgs and social impact to just any number of things from regulation to to much more i guess i guess it would be good to jump into the first of those topics play to earn gaming and like what's getting you exciting excited about that and what what are you doing there and and Oh, yeah, thanks, Toby. I think that this is the most fascinating phenomenon. So just to put it in perspective, you know, where I come from and what I'm interested in, and my interest in blockchain right from 2016 was really piqued by what I saw as the prospect that blockchain could achieve social transformation and could particularly help reduce inequality and and improve the lives of the poor and vulnerable and connect them to the financial system, give them identity and so forth. So that's where I'm coming from. The second thing is I've always said uh, for several years that I think that the, the vector for mass adoption of blockchain is going to be through gaming. So that's a position that I've had for quite some time. And then a really good friend of mine called Leah Callan-Butler is based in the Philippines, and she was talking to me about what she was seeing with play-to-earn gaming in the Philippines and subsequently went on to make a a short film, which has now just won a prize, around play-to-earn gaming. And the absolutely powerful thing from this was understanding that during the pandemic in particular, people in the Philippines started playing Axie Infinity to earn money so that they could save their families from poverty and put food on the table. So you now had this way using blockchain technology gaming that people could actually earn money during the pandemic lockdown when they'd lost all sources of income. So that in itself is really exciting to me And then when I understood what was going on in terms of what they're now calling Axie Scholars, which is, so if you want to play Axie Infinity, you have to buy three Axies. And depending on the price of, the gas price of Ethereum, that can be quite expensive. But for the sake of argument, let's say it's $100 per Axie. Lots of people don't have that money. So what's now happening all around the world, in fact, is that Let's say you, Toby, you've got quite a bit of money. You've got lots of axes. I want to play. I haven't got enough money. You go, Jane, play my axie 
and you can keep 70% of what you win and I'll take 30%. So you basically loan me your Axie to play. And so they're calling this Axie scholarships. And this is now replicating not just in Axie Infinity, but in play to earn games, particularly in emerging economies, which is giving people previously unavailable sources of income and effectively creating a new economy. And so for me, that's incredibly exciting. It's fantastic, Jane. It's uh, very sort of futuristic, I'd say, in many ways, right? There's sort of this concept of, of things being generated for, I guess, keeping keeping a virtual world going in some ways, right? It's uh, really intriguing. Um, but if you, if you take it further, I mean, I honestly think, you know, this and the metaverse and where this is all going is going to challenge all of our thinking because this is a whole new universe that none of us understand that's being built at the moment but potentially is going to enable anyone who's got a mobile phone to be able to participate in a future economy that doesn't yet exist and you know I think that's really powerful because most people think in a kind of analog way they think that you know, there might be a bit of digitization of something that they now know and understand, not that there's going to be this whole new world and whole new um, kind of economic system or ecosystem, if you like, where people are going to be able to earn money for all sorts of things. And I mean, not even just that, if you if you just think about it, you know, what can people at the bottom of the pyramid do with a mobile phone? So they can play games. So that's one way and they can earn money. But, uh, you know, let's say I wanted more social media followers. Using one of these platforms, I could pay hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the developing world to like my Twitter posts and make me enormously influential, uh, you know, on social media. But also if if I believe in uh, cleaning up the environment, I can use the sort of blockchain incentives built into one of these platforms and games to to say, okay, if you go and pick up rubbish on your beach or you go clean your rivers, um, then and you you know upload a photo of it and I can see it, then I can pay you in one of these um, tokens, depending on what it is you're working on. So you start to be able to provide effectively work slash job slash income for people who have never had those kinds of opportunities if you open your mind to the possibilities. Yeah, no, 100% true. I actually got introduced by a contact to the founder of um, a beach token um, who I'm meeting with this week who's doing exactly what you're talking about. So, so uh, uh, the, I, I don't know if you actually knew there was a concrete example, but there is. Yeah, some... no, I don't. I don't specifically know beach token, but I know people who are working on cleaning up beaches, cleaning up oceans, regenerative agriculture, preserving the Amazon. And this is, you know, I think this is the beauty: is that anyone who's got a passion about doing something can engage other people and incentivize them to also pursue this. Passion. And then I, th- I think that this is the uh, as yet unrealized promise of blockchain, which is the decentralized autonomous organization um, as the kind of future of the global commons. Because if you think about whether it's protecting oceans, climate change, forests, whatever, 
you can create a really big DAO and you can incentivize people um, to both contribute ideas if they're communities to do things. You can fund communities to do things. Um, you can get the best scientists in the world telling you what's the evidence, you know, in terms of what you're going to do to preserve the environment and have this all kind of built on this DAO with nodes all around the world. I mean, for me, that's the potential, which we haven't yet realised, but I think it'd be amazing if people started to build that kind of thing and have that kind of vision. Yeah, no, 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 it is incredible. Um, there will, there are already, I mean, to a certain extent, you sort of, Ethereum and some of the other protocols in and of themselves are, already that kind of pulsating thing which which just can be used in all sorts of different ways to stimulate the right thing but but yeah i think i think you're the concrete things of the of the dows built on top of them will also um there'll be there'll be some very interesting developments are there any particular favorite examples you have at the moment um look i think there's a few, um, and I, I love the Regen Network and what they're doing. Um, there's, a, there's a group called Token Economics who are doing something called Eto System in Ireland, which is kind of like connecting the entire food production circular economy um, in Ireland that I really like. But I think, you know, again, my eyes are on emerging economies because I think those are the places where the problems are the greatest and where the potential impact is going to be the greatest. So, you know, what we've really seen more than anything in emerging economies during the pandemic um, has been a kind of rapid set of innovations, particularly around, um, you know, transfer of digital assets. So whether it's cross-border or remittances or peer-to-peer -peer in the marketplace where or, you know, people just getting small amounts of foreign exchange using crypto. So we've seen all of that really grow. We've also seen, you know, what's probably more well publicised is things like, you know, El Salvador, Zambia, Lebanon, um, Venezuela, where people are turning to crypto as a store of value in emerging economies. And just in the last fortnight, we've seen the chain analysis, global crypto atlas come out. And, and what it's showing is that the majority of countries where bigger percentages of the population are using crypto are emerging economies. And in particular, some kind of interesting jumps like Afghanistan, which, you know, a year ago probably was at about 120. I, the number won't be correct. And it's moved up to 20 because of the crisis and because people have seen this as a way um, to be able to both preserve their savings, but also people outside, you know, there are there are telegram groups which are crypto for Afghanistan and people are getting Afghans out by sending them crypto. So, you know, I think it's those sorts of things that are moving so fast and for me are so interesting. That's absolutely fascinating, actually. I didn't realise that Afghanistan is the 20th biggest country in the world for usage of crypto, is that? Yeah, watch it. You need to read the chain analysis report because um, they've they've used several different indicators. Because if you're only talking about like size, scale, and volume, they're not going to get in there. But if you're talking about like numbers of transactions, because a lot of it's peer to peer 
in emerging economies and a lot more people are using it and obviously they're making smaller transactions. So they control for that in their analysis and if you have a look at it, you'll see the way that they look at it. And so if you kind of take the big institutional giants out and you just see what's happening with people, that's exactly what you see. That's fascinating. So you say, yeah, just as people transacting, and I guess all eyes will be on El Salvador and how those numbers are changing there, right? Um, and uh, I think I, I suddenly spent a bit of time in Latin America recently, and there were lots of talk of other governments in the region following them, I'm sure. I think, look, the question for me, you know, everything as far as I'm concerned is this giant social experiment that we're currently living through as innovators invent the future. Um, this is all great while Bitcoin's going up. Uh, if people are relying on Bitcoin and it crashes, this is another matter. So we haven't yet seen that. El Salvador's been on a bit of a high since they adopted Bitcoin. And, and, you know, that's a question in my mind and that's a question in other people's minds, which is why there's a lot of popularity around stable coins, particularly for sort of social impact purposes, because, um, you know, you can't really be subjecting the poor to that level of volatility. So I think that's the question in my mind there. Um, and, you know, in the humanitarian sector, for example, you know, they've examined all of this about whether they can use you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum and so forth, or whether to deal with what they do, which is mainly logistics and, you know, transferring of money. I mean, their finding from a study that they did about blockchain and humanitarian was, you know, ideally there should be some sort of humanitarian stable coin. So, you know, I think the jury's still out a little bit on that. Um, obviously things are going swimmingly at the moment, but we probably need to watch it for a while and just see if there are unintended consequences because we don't know that yet. Yeah, no, no, extraordinary. And and clearly I think it's going to be, yeah, the downside of these things, I'm sure there will be people who don't manage risk appropriately or, or um um and and you yeah, and the consequences could be very bad for for um poorer people and countries and if if they get it wrong right yeah and I, I mean you know I think that that's that's what we need to be looking at the other aspect uh, I guess in my in my pandemic downtime uh Ingrid Vassilou Feltes and I have just had a book published uh by IGI Global which is called um applied ethics in a digital age. So like applying an ethical lens across technology, blockchain, AI, and all of these things, and then thinking about the consequences of what's coded into all of these platforms and maybe, again, unintended consequences on, on people, informed consent, privacy, what happens to their data and so forth. So all of these things we're understanding better as we go and we're learning and they are incredibly important. Yeah, no, 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 100%. So I think that's, um, that's absolutely fascinating. And, and um, yeah, no, I think, I think we're going to go into new ethical terrain in, in many different ways, right? Um, and it's a, um, there, was a, there was quite a bit of discussion on the Novum group that you're, you're in yesterday on this um 
uh, new project of Sam Altman's, which is using this orb to scan people's retinas. And I think people yeah, are getting yeah. a bit alarmed by people receiving tokens for exchanging personal data and uh, um, them looking to hoover up all this personal data. Well, we, we're going to see more of that. And I think, I mean, I think the, the issue is to consider these ethical issues before, you know, these steps are taken because um, there is no doubt in healthcare, uh, medical and healthcare data marketplaces are going to become hugely valuable and blockchain and that allows that secure transfer of data and people are working on you know the concept which you'd be well aware of of uh, self-sovereign identity and your your own self-sovereign health wallet which holds all of your health data because at the moment everyone holds it but you your gp holds it your hospital your radiologist your insurer the government everyone but you's got your data but if you're able to bring all of your data together in your own wallet, um, first of all, one, it allows much more effective and personalised medicine and medical care because when you go to the doctor, you've probably been to 100 doctors in 20 countries, and so the doctor doesn't actually know your medical history and you won't remember all of it. This way they can see your full medical history and treat you you know, in the full awareness of that. So that's the one part. But the other part is that you can start monetizing your health data. And this is the kind of thing that people are working on. And uh, genetic data in particular is going to be very valuable for medical research and scientific discovery. But again, as we spoke about, there's going to be ethical questions about it. Because if I sell my genomic data and allow scientists to have access to it, then that might be telling you something about maybe some genetic faults that my family has about my brother who might be employed in an industry where this becomes a problem. So, you know, people have really got to think about and work on the ethical implications of some of the incredible things that we're building and just try and understand where there might be things that need to be handled in a different way right from the start. And, and I've seen debates, you know, with the technologists who go, no, 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 we don't need to think about ethics, we just build it. Um, you know, and I would say, no, no, no. The future has to be around the ethical use of technology and every corporation and every platform um, who's using technology needs to start with the thought around the ethics of what they're doing. Yeah, no, no, and I think, um, and I think it's very hard for for the programmers, right? When they're when they're because they're often twenty four year olds who design clever game theory systems or things that that I think they they're often extraordinarily intelligent, but I think they they probably don't have your wisdom and depth of experience sometimes when putting together these things right and, and there is a degree where everyone is is kind of innovating on the fly but, but I think it's um clearly like we all have a responsibility to then go what are we doing what have we built right and and what do we need to think about I can't remember what the survey was but it was a you know, survey by a kind of global IT survey firm. And, and they actually found that 80% of developers 
would like to develop with ethics in mind, but they haven't been trained and don't have a you know a good understanding of even how they'd start to look at things. So I think we should be optimistic on that count, but then people need to do the work to develop the kind of ethical frameworks and things that developers can look at and consider when they're when they're building their projects. Yeah, and, and pressing on it, I, I, I just remember it's the old Mark Zuckerberg phrase of move fast and break things, right? And then you had Uber and a whole Airbnb even got into sort of challenging ethical terrain and um like and, and so many other companies. But the the um and then in the blockchain crypto space, I guess there's that's in a because it's playing around and people freewheeling experiments on people's finances are um I mean, I think the clear thing is, is they they have the phrase wrecked um, yes. quite commonly in the crypto market. Um, and uh, um, yeah, that's, there's a duty of care that that is owed to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people in the crypto markets probably do get in over their head in some ways, um, as much as they have an enjoyable time, right? So. Yeah, look, I think so. And and I mean, you know, just the speculative crypto and some of the DeFi and throwing things up in the air and breaking them is this experimental phase. And I mean, I guess it's an issue of community education, which is uh, as far as you can do your due diligence. And that's not always easy to do. Um, but also don't invest what you can't afford to earn. But on that point about due diligence, I haven't got the names of the people on the tip of my tongue. But uh, there's, a, there's a couple of different groups now who are developing eff- effectively peer review for, for DeFi code so that, you know, if you're looking at a new DeFi and, um, you know, you want to do your due diligence, then there are developers who are forming effectively what happens when you put in for a scientific journal is that you can submit it to them to undertake a peer review. But processes like that, I think, you know, people are already going, oh, this is a problem. We've got vulnerabilities in code. How do people look at it? You know, maybe this is a way that we in the industry can actually help um, check and improve the quality of the work that's coming out of this industry. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So, well, Jane, I think we've 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 covered a huge amount of ground here. I don't know if there's any sort of other sort of pressing issues that have been been on your mind to sort of attempt at wrapping up? No, but just um, I'm actually in Dubai at the moment and just coming off the back effectively of two weeks worth of blockchain conference after blockchain conference. There's lots of exciting things going on here. A lot of people have moved here during the pandemic. Um, The government's very pro-building technology. And, of course, because it's the Middle East, it's a melting pot for many, many countries, uh, you know, in the surrounding areas. So I'm already seeing some very exciting projects here, and I expect that we're going with that, that level of government engagement and investment and encouragement we're going to see a continuing increase in some of the exciting technological developments that are that are coming out of the Middle East. So it's been fabulous to be here and run into a lot of friends from all around the world and, yeah, continuing to just see what's going on in this part of the world.
Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Jane, it's been a fantastic conversation and I'm sure we're going to have many more of them uh, um, as we always do. So, so thank you very much for joining us on the Novum Insightful. Thanks for having me, Toby.